Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm doing my vocal warm ups. <laughs> Start the timer in five, four, three. You know how I know that you're gay? I thought I would have a good intro, but I don't. Hello! <laughs> it's too easy to just did, sing, did let, you, let it go. Did you just let it go? The intro? I thought I had something, and then, yeah, I let it go. Never bothered me anyway. Hello! <laughs> and welcome to How Did This Get Praise, the movie podcast that wants to build a snowman. Very wholesome. Oh, very wholesome intro. Cute. So cute. Uh, no snow out in a long time <laughs> um i was just gonna say that your puns were driving me to drink so does that take the wholesomeness down a little bit if i say I, that i think you need to let it go drinking now i don't know if you can hear it because it's going in hello i'm daniela mazio and i'm here with my co-host he just announced he'll be playing elsa in spider-man 3 it's true it's Stephen Carlson. Oh, I'm so excited about that. You know, yeah, they wanted I they wanted Idina Menzel, but there was conflict, so they were like, "Let's just get the next best thing." Who else looks Aryan? <laughs> it's true, I do like Aryan. We'll just throw some um, some braids on you. Do you have exclusive footage of your audition? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, can should should we should we play it? Sure. Clicky clap. All right, we're 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 playing it. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. I can't hold myself back anymore. I live in ice castle. It's like white castle, but there's ice instead of burgers. I don't care about the size of my burgers. They're tiny. I got onion rings and uh, jalapeno poppers. Wow, that was so, so incredible. You know, that's, that's an exclusive clip, I think. I don't think anyone else has access to that. Yeah, so you're going to be in Spider-Man 3, too, yeah. because it's the sequel. It's the sequel to Spider-Man 3. It's the second Spider-Man 3. Is that what it is? Like no. actually, no. okay. <laughs> I was like, you know, with the how complicated the Spider-Man timeline is at this point, I, I could see. Well, I mean, it it sort of is in the sense that they've like all but confirmed that they're doing a Spider Verse that is going to make Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man canon. Mm -hmm. Um, but. I just like the idea that, especially if it does make them canon, that it's like Spider-Man 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, before we get started on uh, this episode's movie, a little bit about our show. If you are a film lover of any creed, you're probably uh, 
been shitting your pants with the latest news, but also you're probably um, familiar with the canon, uh, aka those movies all the most annoying people you know tell you you have to see. Perhaps most recently you've heard Mank be in these conversations. God, I um, love that name, by the way. Mank! Mank! I, the movie was uh, fit that Mank! It's, that's like sums up the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, these movies are considered to be the greats for one reason or another, but we started asking, why do these movies get praised? So throughout each episode, we are going to take one beloved movie, whether a financial success, critical success, cult favorite, or film with some sort of legacy, and we're going to talk about two things. One, why do we think this movie got praised? And two, is it actually any good? Because after all, who are we going to let decide what's good to cool as hell best friends who met each other in a high school film class or Olaf? God, I fucking hate Olaf. Yeah, he's the worst. Honestly. If you've ever loved a movie despite feeling like it wasn't made for you because of fucking Olaf or hated (laughs) a movie that you were told is made for everyone because of fucking Olaf, this is the podcast for you. I feel like that applies to Josh Gad in general. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get into it. Oh, my God. Um, Last bit of housekeeping, though. Uh, Friendly listeners. Usually we try to pick an organization that uh, we would ask you to support in lieu of ads that shares themes with the movies we're discussing. However, this is not a normal time, and the two Georgia Senate runoff races are going to determine what the next couple of years of policy will look like in America. The work that Stacey Abrams and her organization Fair Fight have done in this country, and particularly in Georgia, is monumental, and it doesn't stop now. Go to gasenate.com to make a donation that will be split evenly between Fair Fight and the two Democratic candidates for the Georgia Senate race, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Also, if you are in Georgia, by the time this podcast will have been released, uh, early voting will be available in Georgia. So go vote. This is a super important election. Uh, And if uh, you don't want to vote, or you don't want to contribute to those candidates, you can also just go to the Fair Fight website, fairfight.com, donate directly to the organization and their efforts to make sure elections are fair and accessible. There are also a number of other organizations you can offer your support to for this crucial, these two crucial runoff races. There's Black Votes Matter, ACLU Georgia, the New Georgia Project, and more. Um, we will talk about GA Senate race a little bit more throughout the episode, but for now, let's introduce our episode. Stefan, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about Disney's smashiest smash hit possibly ever. I I don't know. Disney animation, at least. Not the whole Disney universe that is existing right now. Maybe. It's up for debate. But... 2013's Frozen. Put the title card up. Frozen. Frozen. Uh, That's like Glee. You know, the Glee theme where it's just like Glee. Frozen. God, I watched one episode of Glee and wanted to just hate myself after. Yeah. Um, 
Stefan, what's Frozen about for those who don't know? Okay, so in Frozen, you have like these, there's these two princesses of a faraway land called Arendelle, and uh, they're Elsa and Anna. Elsa has snow powers for some reason. I don't know why. They don't say. A curse. Uh, it, it's a curse? Okay. It, they it's, just say the curse. The curse. Okay, cool. It's a curse. And um, Anna and Elsa are playing in their room or somewhere one day. And uh, while they're playing, Elsa accidentally shoots Anna in the heart. And it's a huge problem because she might die. So they freak out. But they go to the really conveniently in the neighborhood. There's some fucking trolls. So they go to the trolls and are like, help. And Anna's dying. And the trolls heal her with magic or something. And I was like, don't let her get shot in the head though because that, that'd be real bad since it's in the heart she's fine but like if she gets shot in the head she's just dead it's the other way around i thought it was oh yeah, yeah you're right you're right you're right she got she gets, the a, head she gets a streak of white the first time and then they're like you nothing can melt a heart but love yeah it's weird um anyway so after that, it's years later. The parents die um, on a cruise ship that gets toppled over. It's probably the, what was the one that, from February? <laughs> the one that had all the COVID cases on it? <laughs> like the Princess Mary or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> it was probably that one. Um, so the parents die on the cruise ship. Uh, Elsa has become withdrawn because she doesn't want to hurt anyone with her ice powers. They lock up the castle. Now they're opening the castle for Elsa's coronation. Um, Elsa gets coronated and becomes queen, but then freaks out because her powers freak out when she can't handle her emotions. Um, so she runs away because everyone thinks she's a witch now, and she builds an ice palace. And Anna goes after her, and... Um, yeah, some hilarity and hijinks might ensue, possibly. It's the only, this is like the least confident of them. <laughs> Either hilarity or hijinks. And we've done Blue Velvet and Fight Club. That's true. Um, well, before we get into Frozen today, Stefan, let's yeah. just check in. What's up? How are you? It's, it's a couple weeks till the big one. Big, you know, X. The big X. The what? <laughs> more, more X, Xmas. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see what I see what you did there. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Chug, chugging along, I guess. Um, yeah, it's been dark and pretty generally awful, but and the pandemic's really, really, really bad right now, and nobody gives a shit. So that's great. <laughs> but we're getting a vaccine in like six months so keep an eye out for that uh how, how are you daniela I, I know things have occurred um <laughs> i i have one sentence and i will move on with my current events but i was laid off this week Woo! <laughs> um and i this is a podcast so um you know, that's all. That's all I got for you. You don't need to know all about my personal life and my former place of employment. But I will tell you, as I had some good news this week too, I got a fellowship. 
and I uh, am applying for grad school. So uh, if you got job leads, <laughs> add us on Twitter. <laughs> add us on Insta because that's the one Daniela runs. DM us. On, can you add on Insta? I don't know. I don't use Yeah, you can add. Yeah, tag us on Instagram with a picture that uh, has some job leads in it. I'll read it. And then uh, that's at praise underscore pod. And then I'll be like, cool, gonna apply. And then we'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, you know what? I, I have felt very, um, very busy. And like, um, I haven't been giving myself a proper work life balance uh, this year. Um, along with a pandemic. So, uh, you know, money is quite good but i am also looking forward to actually like um getting to think about like what i want to do um because uh yeah. i'm you know you and i are both still pretty young and we've mm -hmm. got we can we can uh evaluate what the next steps are uh as long as we hopefully financially survive <laughs> the pandemic. that's the thing right I, I did kind of feel a weight coming off after i got laid off uh right at the beginning of the pandemic um well, yeah it's it's like a weight added, but also a weight taken off because you can reevaluate. Well, like how course. many times it, it doesn't matter like where you work or what your job is, but like how many times are we just like not even thinking about what we want because we're just so entrenched in the capitalist machine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, the capitalist machine makes the lack of income pretty stressful but also i'm like i've been thinking for like the last year about possibly transitioning like the direction my career goes into and i just have never had time or energy to like sit down and like create a portfolio in that direction do some more writing whatever so i you know uh, hopefully i'll get unemployment <laughs> pretty good yeah and uh yeah that was really helpful at the beginning at the outset of yeah. everything so, um, yeah, it's not all bad, but, uh, it's been an interesting week and, uh, delayed de happened, happened, uh, this week. So delayed our recording a little bit. Cause you yes. know, you gotta do the paperwork and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, we've got Christmas gifts to each other in the mail. I think that's nice. Mine is so weird because I got it on Etsy and it, it, it I got an email saying it was delivered, uh, to your address. And then it, I went in the tracking cause you said you didn't get it. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I went to the USPS tracking and it says it was delivered to like the post office that it was sent from, which is really, <laughs> it's it got marked as delivered. But it, the delivery address it was marked delivered at was the post office it was sent from. So I asked the Etsy person, and they were like, oh, that's weird. I'll look into that. Okay. And I haven't heard back from them yet. <laughs> so hopefully you get it at some point. Yeah, well, uh, you know, just in case, you should just say my address on, on mic right now um, <gasps> so that people can keep an eye out for it. Yeah. <laughs> it actually has to do with the podcast. What? Your gift has to do with the podcast. I'm surprised oh, at how I'm good so, it is. I'm so excited. Um, also, uh, we did get our 
the, now you and I are just catching up, but fine. <laughs> we did get our, uh, the presents for Stan and Mar came in today. We haven't opened yet. Yay. Yeah. Um, what, what was Mar's last name? Kati, Catrizian. Catrizian. <laughs> Anthony Lee Catterson and Marlo Catrizian. Don't say their last names. They're going to get doxxed. Wow. <laughs> Stan deserves to get doxxed. <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, we should probably talk about the movie. Um, yeah. So we chose this movie. We decided to go... Um, I don't know. What are your feelings about... Uh, or I don't know what your feelings about the holidays and Christmas and wintertime are, Stefan. But I think we both were like, let's do something of the season in December but not necessarily specific to holidays or Christmas. Mm -hmm. So um, with this one, we're doing Frozen, which is obviously a very wintry movie. Um, and before we, we get into it, I want to know, what were your impressions before you saw Frozen for the first time? I'm not. I like, I enjoy Christmas, I think. That's what our family celebrates, though not religiously, nor have I ever been religious um christmas is really nice it's a nice time you get to see your family um you get to see some extended family too which is always crazy but it's it's like um quaint in a way <laughs> i guess um seeing half of my extended family half we don't speak to because they're homophobic <laughs> and the other half like this movie i mean <laughs> what what okay um <laughs> yeah christmas is lovely i hate winter um in the past few years winter has been awful awful time for me just no definitely i definitely have seasonal affectation disorder or whatever it is called sad yeah so i'm i'm on i'm up on riding my happy lights dick every day basically <laughs> just right up on that thing. Raw, raw dog in the happy light yeah getting to know it pretty good um but um this movie yeah i i heard about this movie i wasn't super into disney at the time i'm still not i mean i'll what? watch them they're okay I thought you yeah. were like super into Disney. No, not you go not, to Disney like every year. When I, love, I lived with you, you had tons of Disney merchandise. I love theme parks. Um, I love immersive, interactive experiences with heavy theming. Like that just really gets me going. <laughs> so that's why I love Disney World, but I don't really care about the movies actually too too much okay okay i mean i enjoy the spectacle of them i'm not super fan boying for them or anything like that but everyone was into frozen uh people were blasting the soundtrack i think even before the movie came out if i remember it was my freshman year of college it was a really bad year for me i was depressed and kind of on the verge of being suicidal <laughs> in des moines iowa which just like kind of caps everything off um so i didn't see it i wasn't gonna see it but i did a few years later i was babysitting my mom's nanny uh children shout, shout out to maddie and char who are now preteens or teens you're dope 
Um, and I watched it and thought it was okay. It was pretty okay. That was my first impression of Frozen. So like, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was good. It was fine. Would you have sought it out if it wasn't in like a babysitting scenario? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I always watch Disney movies just when I'm with people who are just going to watch them. Like I don't yeah. seek them out. Even like Star Wars or Marvel movies have never really been my gem either. You know, I really do like Last Jedi um, after, but I saw that with the group too. So it's not something I would go to seek out, really. We should do that. Um, that's a complicated one that yeah, we could do on the show. That'd be cool. Oh, did it even stand... get, did it get praised? Who knows? <laughs> we could stand Laura Dern again. Oh. We love she's actually one of my least favorite parts of that movie but anyway well she has the best moment in the film though plot wise yes i don't like the way she plays that character and i think she's a God, very good actress and the purple hair the Laura. purple hair takes me out of it i love the purple hair i love it it just opens up the question is there a hair dye in this universe i mean i guess presumably so because like kylo ren's uh, parents, no one has black hair <laughs> so he is Oh, presumably... I love the headcanon that Kylo Ren dyes his hair to be even more... Oh, he absolutely does. edgy. <laughs> There's no one... We know his whole family's lineage and not a single one of them has even remotely close to black hair, let alone jet black hair. <laughs> That's so good. Um, but yeah, those those are my thoughts on Frozen and basically every Disney movie. Um, oh. What? Not every Disney movie, but like every newish Disney movie. I'm like, yeah, I'll see that if I'm with people who are also seeing that. But I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch a Disney movie, probably. Well, <laughs> at this point, it seems like their mo is just pump out. <laughs> like yeah. as of this week, they're just like, we'll do anything which is actually very frustrating because i think they're evil but because they create so much content inevitably some of it is quite good and inevitably yeah. some of the people they work with are quite good and then i'm like i, I don't want to watch it <laughs> Stop. that's like uh. me when i go to the theme park i'm like this is all fake and costs a lot of money but there's that side of me that is like god damn i love theming you're like dopamine please i'm like let me see your cue lines that are like decorated and have like easter eggs from whatever they're with and make you feel like you're there that's like god damn it's like drugs to me that's like how i feel about the marvel cinematic universe where i'm like it's stupid and doesn't need to exist but also it's cool and it makes me smile yeah <laughs> Um, well, for Frozen for me, so I was also a freshman in college when it came out. I was also depressed. I don't know if I was, um, I've really blocked out my 2013-2014 depression of how serious it was, because that one was mainly one of, like, isolation, because I just, mm. I just didn't have, like, friends my freshman year of college, yeah. at least not, like, good friends. And the the ones who were my good friends were still really wanted to party to fit in, and I was like, I'm, o I'm okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just gonna watch Doctor Who in my dorm. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I, I missed that. out on socializing, but, um, so I did a lot of, like, solo 
hanging out with myself because you know I was in Chicago for the first time it was my first year living in the city and so um there was a regal cinema that was about a 10 minute walk from where I went to school sometimes uh like shorter if you really booked it and so um and from my dorm and so I would just like go see a movie if I was feeling particularly sad um this kind of started a trend that I miss deeply because I wish I could just go to the movie theater when I'm feeling sad these days um and so I and I would often go on Tuesdays because like for Regal Cinema it's like six dollars for a movie ticket Mm. um or it was then and so I would go on Tuesdays and just see whatever was out and if it was popular especially if it was only a six dollar ticket I'd be like yeah I don't care if I'm interested in this I'll just see it to see it so I can like go somewhere and you know consume something and get a dopamine rush as we said um what i did not think about when i took advantage of one of these six dollar tuesday opportunities to see frozen (laughs) is that the demographic that six dollar movies appeals to the most is families (sighs) and i was in a theater alone uh or i went alone with entirely children (laughs) which um i wouldn't do again (laughs) um that sounds like it could be kind of fun though it wasn't (laughs) it definitely wasn't uh this was already like a movie that i was just like this is too loud and too busy and then i also Mm. had like in the background every five minutes and i have no problems with kids but it to that excess it was just um a lot. I also got a large uh, drink, and I don't think I had ever gotten a large drink from that movie theater at that point, and I didn't realize it was going to be the size of my head. Wow. So then I was also trying to work... Th- uh, uh, this is a thing. <laughs> um, all that to say, the movie had been out for a little bit, and I was on heavily on Tumblr at the time, so I had heard a lot of opinions about how magnificent it was, and I saw it, and I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> And then I, I didn't watch it again for a few months when um, a guy from high school who's a year younger than us, shout out to him if he's listening right now, um, and I vaguely dated, and he for some reason was obsessed with this movie and came over to my parents' place when I was visiting home one time and we watched it. I still didn't get it, and you and I rewatched it this week. And I still don't get <laughs> I don't um, know about you. <laughs> I feel like I get it. It's just not... I have a lot of problems with it, but I get it. Like, I get why people liked it. Well, Stefan, yeah. I think it's a good time to jump into our next segment then because I think you're going to find perhaps a lot of your problems might be explained by a complicated development history for this movie so fantastic let's jump into the cold hard facts um i just dabbed with my drink i want people to know i never have my camera like i never have the zoom window as like my front window because i'm usually looking at the script when we record so Mm. I, i i always miss your uh 
your gestures. You could be flipping me. You could be dick out flipping me off this whole time. I didn't know. Who is that guy that jerked off on a Zoom call? Jeffrey Tubin. I am writing about him in my wow. um, in my writing sample. Ah, topical. For uh, grad school. Um, this is a very interesting grad school writing sample that talks about uh, The Office, Jeffrey Tubin, and Me Too. Um, our favorite movie, Fight Club, and wow. um, it, a lot of things. That sounds um, incredible. I will send it to you when I'm done writing it. Awesome. I am going to be going back to collecting all of my citations after we're done recording. So normally when we do the trivia you know, our cold hard facts for the movies. I'll start with like box office or um, release date, but I actually want to start with the uh, development production history. Uh, this movie was in development since before Disney had even made Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, so they first had the idea when Disney was formed uh, in the 1930s of doing a um, kind of some sort of homage to Hans Christian Andersen. Um, so in 1940, they, Walt Disney himself suggested to co-produce a film with Samuel Goldwyn, uh, where they would, uh, Goldwyn would shoot the live action sequences of, uh, Hans Christian Andersen's life, and then Disney Studio would animate the fairy tales. Um, by the way, I'm summarizing a lot from Wikipedia right now, because Wikipedia came in clutch with some history on this movie, so it sounds familiar good on you you fell down the same wikipedia wormhole as me is that goldwyn of mgm yes okay yes um which also mank shout out a little bit of a reference to mgm there mank <laughs> mank this is a chaotic episode mank, get in here. <laughs> that's just what it that does sound like um gary oldman god i nailed it mank get in here I was Gary Oldman's understudy. Oh my God, Elsa and Mankle. Yeah, Same my career is <laughs> taken off. Um, so right from the beginning, uh, Walt Disney found the Snow Queen out of all of Hans Christian Andersen's stories a really difficult way, a really difficult story to adapt. And one of the reasons was they found it hard to relate it to modern audiences, um, kind of based on what the original story was. Um, you know, they could find like romance in some of the other stories or like, you know, the little match girl, which, you know, touches on poverty, I think. I don't know. But uh, the, the Snow Queen baffled them. So come World War II, they were like, you know what? We're going to make wartime propaganda. We're done with uh, Goldwyn, and uh, this whole movie was uh, kind of dropped from their production plans. Uh, Samuel Goldwyn ended up making a live-action film in 1952, just entitled Hans Christian Andersen, and it, uh, his whole uh, fairy tales, it was the same premise where they would film live-action portions of his life, and the fairy tales would be in between, but they were told through song and ballet shot in live action as opposed to be animated uh it received six academy award nominations wow so um disney didn't really come back to this idea until the late 90s because uh their disney renaissance era was hella popular uh and they were like we did the little mermaid the little mermaid went super well let's do it we're gonna do the snow queen again um so one of the people that they had attached to it 
is this name that you actually might not be familiar with, both Steph and listener, uh, Glenn Keane. But you should be because he was a character animator at Walt Disney Studios for a very long time. He designed the character for The Little Mermaid. That was his character design. Uh, He was also the character animator for Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Pocahontas and Tarzan, all from this renaissance um this renaissance period um and so uh was gonna work on the snow queen and uh he ended up dropping himself from the project because uh he was going to work on another movie another project with disney in late 2002 which a uh, little film called tangled mm. the movie tangled uh some of the original designs were from glenn Keane. He really wanted this movie to, um, because they all agreed it should be in CGI after some debating. Um, Glenn Keane figured we need to do the best of both worlds then. So what we're going to do is we are going to take the traditional uh, 2D aesthetic where things are more naturalistic. We have these really lush landscapes, uh, but we're going to use the things that 3D animation affords us. Um, Glenn Keane was part of the original um, kind of production and development of both Tangled and Frozen. Um, Tangled, he did because he had to step down just from health issues, was much more of his like brainchild. Um, And he did stay on as a producer. Glenn Keane has also worked on some other notable things. Um, He uh, also uh, was a character designer for the short Paper Man. Uh, mm. he directed the very recent movie that came out on Netflix, Over the Moon, and he directed and animated the short Dear Basketball, which was the short film based on uh, Kobe Bryant's uh, a poem uh, that won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short in the 90th Academy Awards. Uh, you go, Glenn. Go, Glenn Keen. <laughs> Co. You go, Glenn Coco. Um, Glenn Keane also left um, Disney in 2012. Uh, and he basically said, uh, I am convinced that animation really is the ultimate form of our time with endless new territories to explore. I can't resist its siren call to step out and discover them. Uh, he said one of the reasons he left Disney was during the production of Tangled because of so many storyline and title changes, he felt that there was just too many conflicting interests and management uh, management hands getting involved at a studio like Disney. So he left and just started doing his own thing. After he dropped out, Disney shelved the project again. Now, it didn't come back uh, into kind of the foray of possible Disney movies until 2008, when John Lasseter is uh, heading the studio. And uh, he convinces uh, Chris Buck, who ends up uh, working, uh, being one of the co-directors for Frozen, uh, he convinces him uh, to return to Walt Disney Studios as he was uh, previously working at Sony Pictures. And before that, he had co-directed Tarzan, so he had some history with uh, Disney. So uh, Chris Buck comes back to Disney and he pitches ideas, and one of which is the Snow Queen. 
Now, his vision for the Snow Queen wasn't necessarily the fairy tale. He wanted to kind of do a spin on the definition of what true love is. He's like, Disney's done the whole prince thing, kissed by a prince, the prince saves her life, whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's like, we want to do something new. John Lasseter had been interested in the Snow Queen for a while um, and was really impressed with some of the pre-production art from the previous attempts, including Glenn Keane's that he had seen. So finally developed began under the title Anna and the Snow Queen, Anna and the Snow Queen, which was uh, going to be traditionally two-dimensionally animated. Um, at this point, Josh Gad was actually attached to the movie in its early phases, and they also planned for Megan Mullally to play Elsa. That's fucking wild. Um, but uh, they still couldn't figure out how to make the story with the Snow Queen character work. They just couldn't figure out, because she's traditionally a villain, how to make this character. Yeah. So uh, Tangled does really well when it comes out. And so they're like, okay, fuck it. We're going to do Frozen. We're going to finally fucking do Frozen. We're calling it Frozen. And we're going to release it in 2013. And we're going to do it in 3D because there's too many complex magical elements in the script that we have um so we're doing it in 3d so they advance it and because um they still have never quite uh gotten down the story but they're placing a release date and kind of fast tracking this process everyone who was attached to the movie had an unusually short period of time to develop it from script to song to animation uh That I believe it was about 15 months. That just sounds fucking awful. Yeah. Dear God. So um, one of the challenges, the producers were like, we need to rework the Snow Queen, obviously. Um, so uh, one of the things that John Lasseter said in a meeting was um, the story that uh, Chris Buck um, and his team had come up with was very quote, fun, very lighthearted, but the characters didn't resonate. They aren't multifaceted. And John Lasseter felt that audiences wouldn't be able to connect with them. So the first real breakthrough they had in the story is when they decided that Anna would be related to Elsa so that there would be a family attachment to the characters, which is something that they hadn't really done since Lilo and Stitch. Mm -hmm. Um, So then they uh, convened a sister summit uh, where women from all over the studio who grew up with sisters were asked to discuss their relationship with their sister. How, how much time of the 15-month period did the sister summit take? Was was this a months-long affair with panels and that discussions? Is, uh, that is unclear to me. <laughs> so the original plot of this of I think the Chris Buck iteration, so mm. you know, not like the 1940s plot, but in the Chris Buck iteration. Elsa was going to be evil from the very beginning, and she was going to kidnap Anna on her wedding to intentionally freeze her heart and descend upon the town with an army of snowmen. So the second act was going to be about Anna trying to get Hans uh, to kiss her and then Elsa trying to stop that kiss from happening. Yeah. So they were, uh, the original plot also was going to make Anna sympathetic by focusing on the fact that she wasn't the natural heir, that she was kind mm. of disposable to the family, that she was the spare. Um, and uh, 
so they decided uh though that they wanted to revise the plot and they were like you know what it's gonna be a musical comedy instead of all of this emotional drama and tension and adventure so the reasons they cut it is they were like this story is a little too complex for a 90 minute movie and the more we try to explain things the more complicated it got so they decide Jennifer Lee's been consulting. We're just going to make her a co-director, uh, making her the first woman to direct a full-length animated film for Walt Disney. So she was not originally attached from the get-go. She just put in a lot of labor already. So they decided mm-hmm. to make her a co-director. I think very important to note because she often Disney gets a lot of credit for being like a female-centric movie. Yeah, directed by a woman and. They kind of threw it to her after Mm -hmm. a certain point. So they do, yeah. She gets promoted in August 2012, just about a year before the movie gets released. And then in November of 2012, they finally crack the story, (laughs) according to the producers. But in late February of 2013, they realized it still wasn't working. They were rewriting until June of 2013. This movie came out in November of that year. So they kept rewriting songs. They kept taking out characters. They changed a lot. And in June, finally, the songwriters felt like they started to gel when they composed the song for the first time in forever, which according to uh, one of the co-songwriters became the linchpin of the whole movie. So all of this doesn't come together until five months before the movie gets released. Amazing. So That's clearly a very functional <laughs> dynamic they got going on in that studio. It's no wonder that uh, Rise of Skywalker turned out the way it did under that model, can I just say. So the movie gets released on November 22nd. It costs $150 million to make and makes just under $1.3 billion. It goes on to surpass Toy Story 3 as the highest grossing animated film and the highest grossing musical film uh, before the remake of The Lion King beats those records. LOL. Uh, <laughs> it also ranks as the fifth highest grossing film of all time and the highest grossing film of 2013. Um, and uh, also because of Jennifer Lee attached, it was at the time the highest earning film with a female director with U.S. earnings. But Wonder Woman ended up surpassing that. A movie that always had a female director attached to it. Uh, yeah. That feels that feels better. Uh, Frozen had 18 million home media sales in 2014. Became uh, and in January of 2015, it became the all-time best-selling Blu-ray disc in the United States two Academy Awards for uh, Best Animated Feature and Best Original Song, was nominated for a shitload of other awards, had a short sequel, Frozen Fever, and then it had Olaf's Frozen Adventure, and then last year, about a year ago, they released the full-length sequel, Frozen 2. Which I've heard the development of Frozen 2 sounded a lot like what you just <laughs> explained to me, which is like, how did you not learn? God, Be- it, damn they it. did. They didn't need to because Frozen That's was true. a massive success. God, I fucking um, hate that though. 
we got to move on to us really breaking down the movie. But the last thing yeah. I want to say is um, the songwriters for this movie um, are Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, a husband wife songwriting team. Um, so this is really the first movie that they worked on together. They also wrote um, the music for Coco, which is just fun to note. Um, Robert Lopez, however, uh, had also uh, co-written the music for Avenue Q and Book of Mormon. Um, and he's also done some Disney uh, shows as well. I believe, he, what did he work on? He worked on like Wonder Pets or some shit. <laughs> Uh, he had written the songs for the the musical episode of Scrubs. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So I like um, how that's the thing I connected it to. Yeah, and I'm sorry. Before Frozen, the husband wife team uh, Robert and Kristen wrote seven songs for the Winnie the Pooh movie that came out in 2011. Uh, and so uh, that's their history before they get into Frozen, which is really what. Um, Book of Mormon kind of boosted him and then together Frozen really like cracks their whole world open. Um, Are they doing anything now or is it just all Frozen? They did Frozen 2. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are they just uh, set in Frozen? Are they frozen and frozen for the rest of their lives now, basically? I got nothing. <laughs> uh, the one thing I have uh, is that uh, Robert Lopez uh is a double EGOT winner, I guess. Wow. Um, he has won Academy Awards for both uh, Coco and Frozen. Um, Emmy, he won a Daytime Emmy Award for The Wonder Pets twice. Um, he won two Grammy, or I'm sorry, three Grammy Awards, uh, two attached to Frozen and one for Book of Mormon. And then one two three tony awards two for book of mormon uh one for avenue q we get it (laughs) so uh feels like it's just showing off at that point yeah so uh that's the cold hard facts yeah so let's um i think all of that information's really gonna fuel our conversation Uh, So let's sit with that for a little bit, and we will return after this break. The two Georgia Senate runoff races will determine what the next couple of years of policy will look like in America. The work that Stacey Abrams, Queen, and her organization Fair Fight have done in this country, and particularly in Georgia, is monumental, and it doesn't stop now. Go to GASenate.com to make a donation that will be split evenly between Fair Fight and the two Democratic candidates for the Georgia Senate race, Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. You can also go to the Fair Fight website, fairfight.com, and donate directly to the organization and their efforts to make sure elections are fair and accessible. There are a number of other organizations you can also offer your support to in these crucial races. Black Voters Matter, ACLU Georgia, the new Georgia project and more. Additionally, keep following us on Instagram and Twitter at praise underscore pod, and we'll share resources for organizations and funds that could use your support. And you know what? Let's just throw it in. We're going to keep our promise uh, as we do for our normal full length episodes. If this episode gets uh, up to 25 listens for every listen, we'll donate $2. 
to fair fight and the senatorial races divided equally. Um, very important. We have hit $50 for every organization we have included on this podcast. Um, and honestly, we're probably going to keep trying to support these Senate races as long as we need to. So your listens matter and your support matters as well. Again, go to gasenate.com to make a donation or go directly to fairfight, fairfight.com. Donate directly to that organization. And now back to Frozen. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that you were doing the Disney Channel Mickey Mouse ear in the corner with the glow stick. Oh, uh, can you add them like dun 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 dun? <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Daniela Mazio, and you're listening to How Did This Get Praised Frozen? But then someone actually draws what you drew, and it's a cock and balls. No. Yes. That's what no. they did. That's what someone memed. It was a meme. No, I did not draw a cock and it was balls. Like, it was like Raven and Annalisa Vanderpool and uh, Orlando Brown and... Um, Zach and Cody. I do not draw a cock and bulls. I don't know. It kind of looked like that to me. Yeah. No. <laughs> she just was... did. She did the shaft like it was a return on a typewriter. <laughs> just like a sweep across. Ding. No, that was the bottom of the Mickey Mouse face. Okay. Well, there goes our chance to get a show on Disney Plus, Daniela. We ruined it. Oh no. What if I did the whole rest of the podcast? Don't do that. We're going to talk about Frozen. No. I love Frozen. I'm clicking off. (laughs) I'm clicking off the episode uh, preemptively. That's fine. I could fucking talk about Frozen by myself, dude. Try me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we're back. Uh, Stefan has dearly departed. Um, I'm talking about Frozen. And um, one of the things that I would like to talk about with myself is, um, I'm just going to jump right into it, if, if you're okay with that, me. Um, I want to talk about the songs first. Because, you know, when it comes to Frozen, and I think Disney's legacy with these princess movies, um, we, you know one of the things that has really brought them to success is uh, their presence as musicals and their song catalog. For instance, Beauty and the Beast. What is Beauty and the Beast without Beauty and the Beast? And what is The Little Mermaid without Part of your Or like Mulan without Let's get down to business to defeat hands. So like naturally, like what is Frozen without its Oscar winning best song let it go let it go i can't hold my dick anymore okay i need to step in here (laughs) (laughs) this is gonna this is gonna fly off the rails you're gonna rant about avatar for like two hours (laughs) where this is ultimately gonna end up oh my god um i can't believe disney plus didn't announce two three and four and five were all going to be released in the next like five years on the I feel platform like it's never gonna happen it's not gonna come out <laughs> it's been happening for so long like 10 years like 10 or 15 years probably 
the, fir- sure. the first one came out in 2009. <laughs> yeah. Speaking wow. of Disney parks, what what was your opinion of Avatar Land? Oh my god, I love Avatar Land. I could go off on a whole tangent about Avatar Land, and I love how stupid it is. But it's also amazing, but it's it's just the dumbest thing to make a theme park about. You said but, yet, I was going to go on a tangent. <laughs> it's so good, though. You'd love it, I think. Do you get to, like, touch a Navi? Like, do you get to have hair sex with a no, Navi? there's no Navi. That's the weird part about it, because they're 10 feet tall. So Disney was like, didn't want to put any Navi in to ruin the immersion. So there's like not even Navis in costumes. They're just mentioned and like photoshopped in and some pictures. But like other, and like they're C- you CGI, you can see them on the ride. But like there are no fucking Navi anywhere in the actual land. Is the weirdest thing ever. So wait, is the land designed to feel like it is made for a 10 foot tall person, but they were like, we're not going to make any 10 feet tall people? Kind of. It's designed for humans, but like, it looks like Pandora. I think you're supposed to be on Pandora or a Pandora-esque planet. Well, if it's to your scale, then why can't a Navi just be your size? I I have no idea. (laughs) Do they sell like Navi donuts? <laughs> they sell like, like a Navi banana split. <laughs> they sell Navi popcorn. Oh my god! Which is like blue, bright blue popcorn, and they sell Navi bubble tea. I like how the movie that is also not good, but is like about native lands and like anti-consumerism and like um, taking advantage of resources is like, but also they've got blue popcorn. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge problem with the land. It, it has so many problems and that's kind of why I like it (laughs) because it's so blatantly fucked, but at the same time, it's amazing. It's, it's great. Did you see any unobtainium? unobtainium <laughs> i saw sigourney weaver trying to steal it and i was like hey hey she can't steal it it's unobtainable it's the whole i was like thing. what you doing sigourney you stop that and then she looked sad and walked away but she tried to she tried to go back for it again and i was like no i see you i see you sigourney oh, she just needs to let it go god what a segue. You're going to have so many instances to go. Bum, bum, wow. <laughs> I, I'm a kid in a candy store, but all the candy is blue popcorn from Avatar. Land. Avatar World. <laughs> Pandora World of Avatar. That's it. This is the full title. Um, well. Songs. The songs of Frozen. <laughs> Well, you you felt you need to step in, so yeah. By all means, go off about the well, songs. I don't, I don't remember what I had to step in for, but it was something. I was singing was... "Let It Go." Okay, yeah. Um, I really like a lot of the songs in Frozen. I think they're really well done and interesting, and do a good job of communicating the story, which actually makes a lot of sense. That first time in forever became the driver of the plot like entirely that makes a ton of sense to me i love that song um i love that sequence of first time in forever i like Kristen bell's singing i think it's really it feels really genuine and there's a lot of emotion behind it
To dream I'd find romance But for the first time in forever Um, there are an equal number of songs in Frozen that I hate a lot. Uh, just to name it for you, Let It Go. <laughs> I feel like I should get that one out of the way. Let It Go. Um, We're the canceled. Olaf, <laughs> the Olaf Wants Summer song. When I finally do what frozen things do in summer. I'm going to tell him. Don't you dare. In summer. And the Trolls song. are just awful and slow the film to such a grinding pace during those sequences that I, I can't even, people are like, oh, let it go and first time in forever and uh, love is an open door, like whatever. But it, it's like, they love that so much. They just forget about Olaf's fucking summer song about it's how he loves summer. summer. <laughs> And it's not even a good song. And the troll song, which I think is like maybe the worst thing I've ever heard. It's like also it's... takes a lot of cues from like gospel music, which is like disrespectful at best. Yeah, it feels problematic. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for as good as the music can be in this movie, and it can be um, really good, like that that duet between Elsa and Anna, I know you really, really like. The For the First Time in Forever reprise. Because mm -hmm. for the first time in forever, I will be right here. Anna, please go back home. Your life awaits. Go enjoy the sun and open up the gates. Yeah, but I know you mean well look up who does the voices of the trolls um and not anna kendrick and justin timberlake the other trolls ah uh, that's my favorite song from frozen i got this feeling <laughs> inside my mouth now i feel like i need to <laughs> step in um is is pabby uh, is pabby a troll name <laughs> probably who cares about the trolls it's just weird that these songs it makes sense with the development schedule that we went for that it would be so disjointed. And I know like a movie or a show sometimes just like throws in a song because they need time. Like they need to pad it, right? But like it, there are three songs or like two songs in this movie that feel like they have no purpose other than with the trolls to give exposition and Olaf's summer song to just like, what's the purpose of that song? So... <laughs> Here's the part that gets me is like from what we just heard about the um the development of this is that they cut a lot of things including like the backstory of how Elsa got her powers because they just wouldn't have had time to put it into the movie <laughs> but they've got time <laughs> to just fucking have 
Olaf tell us that he dreams of nothing more in the world like, than to soak up the sun. For like three whole minutes, too, or whatever, however long that song is. And I'm like, you could just tell us that with his character. He doesn't need a whole song. Did Josh Gad contractually need a song? Yes, because he's such a good singer. It's just, it's mind-boggling. Oh, I'm that. sorry. The None of the trolls are voiced by anyone Black, except for the troll that sings the song Fixer Upper. Okay. Um, who, in all other cases, it looks like, has done some minor Broadway roles. That makes sense. Um, oh, and was part of the ensemble of the musical Book of Mormon, which honestly, that's what the song sounds like to me. Like, it takes a lot of musical cues from, it sounds like a cut, like a cut melody and mm -hmm. like composition from Book of Mormon um, because it's like clearly like a pastiche of an existing genre. Um, and that also is vaguely written in like gospel. I, I, I am willing to that they just took a cut melody from yeah. the Book of Mormon and we're like, we'll throw this in here. Well, I guess we should probably have a black woman sing this one. None of the rest of the trolls are black. <laughs> that, that feels especially like a slap in the face when you consider that they cut what could have actually added to the story for those sequences. Yeah. Or that... Um, they couldn't do those sequences in a short enough time, so they just threw a song in there. Like, that's really insulting <laughs> to a viewer, honestly. But, um, yeah, do you have any more comments on the Olaf summer song or the Fixer Upper Troll song um, that are related to the song itself? They're unnecessary. Well, no, actually, here's my thing. And this is why I think, like, especially um, Robert Lopez's history of writing Avenue Q and Book of Mormon specifically is so interesting is I don't think the songs are necessarily bad. And, like, if you, if you took them out, like, out of context, I don't want to hear anything sung by Josh Gad. No offense if you're listening <laughs> That's to Josh fair. Gad. But, Sorry, Josh Gad. Um, but, like, I could the song's like funny i guess like the concept is funny if it was a short film like a pixar short you know of like oh <laughs> it's a little snowman but he wants to bathe in the sun i'd be like okay <laughs> whatever <laughs> sure it's kind of funny fixer uppers like catchy um but my problem is there is no consistency even if you take like for the first time in forever and let it go like those songs don't sound like they're part of the same musical vocabulary yeah and it occurred to me the reason why is because yeah the only musicals robert lopez has written are pastiche musicals are parodies of mm. existing canons that like riff on them and 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 turn it into something comedic so in writing this musical comedy, the songs, and there are tons of cut songs, and a few of them I think are quite good and actually have more consistency between them. So it seems like the songs got cherry-picked to just be whatever was like funnier and like in its own context memorable, but as a whole, it's, it's a fucking mess of a soundtrack. It, it's and really it's, weird. It starts with like, 
some like riff on like look down from like <laughs> yeah i think i asked that when you were watching that. Like, miss. so but i actually i enjoy that song actually oh i do too like the score is the score is really of like that first piece and if you had like a combination of like that style which is that more action adventure thing i know we don't have time to get into this and i know you haven't seen it but like anastasia was something that i thought of a lot of like what the style of this movie could have been of having like contemporary broadway songs but also a kind of a classical feel to it yeah and uh some of the cut songs would have fit in with the score in a way. I think like Love is an Open Door and for the first time in forever fit in in that way. And then the, it just goes all over the place. And I'm like, I just want to point out that musicals often have a through line in their songs of repeated melodies or uh, phrases they'll they'll go back to to kind of tie all of the songs together and make it feel more cohesive. And yeah. In this movie, you definitely can maybe feel that a little bit. Like, and I think that would have been, this would have been an opportunity for them to take that quarrel from the beginning. That sounds... It's, I'm assuming it's supposed to be like a traditional mm-hmm. Norwegian yeah. folk choir thing. Um, and you could have incorporated that somehow within the songs somewhere, maybe like a little phrase or something like um, just to keep that nor- n- more traditionally nor Slavic feel going to it. Well, let's take that and just jump right into talking about the story because this is where it starts to go. The music and the story goes hand in hand. Because for me, with that choral song, it is literally the first scene. Like, (laughs) that's how the movie starts. I Mm -hmm. never remember that that's how the movie starts. That's how the movie starts. And it's trying to set up this lore. And your opening number and scene, whether it's a movie or musical, should establish tone, plot, and style. (laughs) And the rest (laughs) of the movie doesn't resemble that opening sequence yeah. even remotely. The the ice cutter <laughs> sequence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. whole song. Yeah. I I'm actually I really like that ice cutting sequence. Um no, and, I I have no problem with it. Yeah. It's... I thought a movie based on that, like actually based on the opening sequence, would have been um infinitely more interesting possibly well, than what we got. It sounds like that was more of the direction that Glenn Keane was going in when mm-hmm. he was pitching this of something that was more action adventure that was more based in lore and that's what if you kind of read into like original like if you listen to the commentaries on the soundtrack because they have a lot of the cut songs on like the soundtrack you'll hear that like it was originally going to be based in the lore even that original plot summation of like elsa is trying to like intentionally freezes on his heart and you know it, it it's 
it's steeped much more in this universe. And you can tell that instead of starting from scratch, every time they started to rework the movie, they just would like take the same script and um, then like do tons of edits and inserts. And it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a Frankenstein's monster of a movie for sure with a lot of good parts and a lot of not so good parts. Um, so with the story, it feels like I have, I want to cut this movie apart and rearrange it and take some parts out and put some parts that may not exist in to make this feel like a really good movie or maybe just a good movie. I don't know. But um, I, I want to take the beginning sequence where they're children and I want to move that somewhere later because the beginning of this movie past the ice song and to for the first time in forever is just exposition about Elsa's powers. Like, it's, and it goes on for like 10 or 15 minutes. It's like they pitched three separate opening scenes for this movie and we're like, ah, we'll just use them all. <laughs> and I think that Elsa explaining Elsa's powers is so egregious in its over explaining. Don't even explain it. That's true. We don't know how she got them. We don't know the we don't cause. Know why she has them. We don't get like a really good explanation of why she can't, like why they have to be kept secret. Like yeah. it's kind of yada yada. But I mean, I don't know enough about their Arendelle to know like, oh, do they not like witches? Like I. <laughs> and it goes on for 10 or 15 minutes. Like it's insane. Why? But then, yeah. Um. I was just going to say, why why were the royal family the only ones privy to the trolls? Like, <laughs> It's a lot of exposition, and you want more. It's like you were saying in, in the, um, the development that the more they tried to explain it, the more they had to explain it. But so they it just feels say like there's a hole. They say they like went backwards on that, and I I don't. Clearly, they didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I were to f try to fix this movie, I would take that beginning portion and I'd either cut it out entirely or I'd move it somewhere as a flashback because the movie is infinitely more interesting if you don't know about the cause or the total story around Elsa's ice powers. It's like this mysterious conflict of why are they not close? Why, uh, like you could show the first shot could be like their parents, like them saying goodbye to their parents because their parents are going to go on a journey. The parents die. Then we get for the first time in forever where we get glimpses of Elsa and Anna's relationship of Anna going up to Elsa's door and knocking and sitting against the door and the shot, it's a really beautiful shot. It moves through the door and Elsa's sitting there too and she wants to reach out to Anna, but she can't. Like that is so gripping in itself, the relationship. And we don't know why. And that mystery of why is this relationship so strained? What happened makes, it's compelling in a way that you know everything in the actual movie. And you're like, I, I've just been explained about why I should care about this conflict for 10 minutes. And that makes me care about it less. Well, and also like, one of the reasons I've heard this movie often praised is because it includes metaphors for grief and depression. Mm. Sure. But 
how much more interesting is it if you aren't like thinking about else the problem is is it like doesn't actually care about elsa's feelings and like going mm. through that development history it seems like they were so concerned about her being the villain that they overcorrected so hard of centering this movie on anna and like anna is the foil to elsa but anna should not be the protagonist of this because yes. anna Anna doesn't have to change. Like, if you look yeah. at, like, their standard character, her personality doesn't change. The only thing that changes is she goes from wanting to marry someone after one day to, like, two, you know? <laughs> so, like, Elsa's the one who has to have a change, but we don't follow her, and all of the tension is blown out when, like you said, we, we know from the get-go, like, what her problem is, and then we're just frustrated, like, I'm frustrated watching it because I'm like, well, I know what your problem is, I know why you're not close, and also, I just fucking fix it, <laughs> like, yeah. just and talk to each other. <laughs> that kind of comes up again later in the movie when they don't really have a conflict here. So they um, invent the Hans is a ch is a betraying Anna plotline, and Hans is the villain. That that'll inject some conflict into this, some a twist and some stakes. Well, and yeah, I mean that's the other thing. Like they also kind of give up on the closest conflict so early because they connect at the coronation. Yeah, and it's only because Anna is going to get like it's Anna wanting to marry Hans that triggers Elsa's freak out and that also doesn't track like it's all of these disparate plot points it's not very hard in a 90 minute frame to take the basic ingredients of this movie as you said and be like okay we start they're completely grown up their parents just died and they're not expressing their grief to each other and that sucks yeah. coronation we follow elsa elsa is anxious anna is elated elsa um can't handle being around all of these people and is like overwhelmed with this opportunity con to connect with anna and being afraid she's going to screw it up mm -hmm. and that's what makes her freak out because it's not portrayed that she's going to fuck it up again it's just portrayed that she's mad at anna for being stupid <laughs> yeah i just got chills a little bit there too and then yeah. you keep that conflict going throughout the whole movie yes and maybe anna has a breakthrough with uh christoph or when they're going to elsa to journey there and she's like oh i understand what i i feel like for the first time i can finally understand my sister or like i'm seeing things or imagining what she had to go through all these years with her ice powers and hiding herself away. But we never get that. No. We never get any sort of character exploration in this movie at all. Anna immediately is like, oh, that's why you've been reclusive. Well, it's fine, just fix it. <laughs> and because of that, they have to add in these, like, these plots, these, this conflict that really didn't need to be there. No. Like the troll and Olaf Summer thing and the fucking twist with Hans, which is so bad and really manipulative. I hate that twist. Well, and also that twist. And then we also, Olaf really only exists to be the one to deliver the lines some people are worth melting for. So that way it can be like, oh, it wasn't just about romantic love. She could have still been thinking that the man back home was going to be her romantic love. You don't need Hans, though. She still could have, there could have been no Hans. Elsa freaks out. 
Elsa's big climax should be her learning to open up to her sister. And but it's because of the big bombastic song, it's Let It Go, yeah. which is actually her saying, I'm abandoning my feelings. <laughs> it's a really bad, it's, it's, that's not how you want to deal with your feelings. That should like, be her like being misguided. Like I'm just going to seclude myself away from everyone. Like so many people interpret it as her like embracing herself, but it's not because she's literally like when Anna comes she's to chased her, out she's of like, town. <laughs> Anna comes to see her and she's like no I'm not coming back <laughs> and then yeah then on the way Anna meets Ha or Cla- uh, Claus Kristoff and then like we get the tease of like oh maybe this is going to be a stereotypical she's going to fall in love with him yeah. but then it's like Anna needs to learn if she can open up because she thinks Kristoff, like you could do it the opposite. Instead of her rushing into a relationship, it could be she wants to, him to be her true love who's going to break the curse. But uh, she's she's afraid that it's she doesn't know how to love someone because her sister's closed her off. So then she's trying mm. to create this relationship and see if she can trust him because she also has trust issues. And that's why she's not kissing the romantic lead. And then you get back and then it's, you have this tension of like, Elsa and Anna both need to learn to overcome their trust issues. And then they find the love with each other. Yeah. And then Anna gets saved. And then we find out it wasn't about, you know, heterosexual love all along. And like, then the ending can still happen without this like royal betrayal and uh Olaf sacrifices <laughs> and sure. like we only see Elsa when she's being like a moody castle bitch <laughs> moody castle bitch tm aesthetic um yeah there are so many ways that you feel like this movie could be infinitely times more compelling than it actually is and I'd argue that it's not compelling, like almost at all. I think this plot is not compelling because it doesn't follow rules of storytelling. <laughs> like it doesn't. You yeah. Know, frankly, if you want to see a movie with roughly the same kind of energy, Emperor's New Groove, because you have something steeped in traditional lore mm-hmm. with a magic element to it. But magic that is just inherent to this world, like, and also through potion, like, which actual witchery, not from just like, I'm a troll with magic. Um, you have someone who needs to break a curse, uh, who then meets a companion who they have a love hate relationship with, and then they overcome it and also learn about themselves on the way. And it's all done in 90 minutes. And there are some genuinely heartfelt moments and there are no fucking subplots. And you have the mix of like 2001 comedy, but also like this very traditional, like, you know, um, Aztecian, or is it Mayan? I, I Mayan, can't remember. Yeah. My, Mayan uh, landscape and, uh, and lore that's brought into the 21st century. Boom. <laughs> That's really an interesting uh, comparison. Yeah. Can we talk about the twist? The it's means. not it's yeah. not romantic love. It's family yes. love, and Please. Hans is evil. Yes. Um, Hans being evil is a bad twist for a few reasons. The first reason is that he gives no indication prior to his turn that he is evil. 
that that's a problem. If you do a twist, you need to hint at it so people can possibly pick up on it, or it feels like a slap in the face to the viewer. Um, second problem with Hans is that there's a lot of plot holes. I don't like going super hard in on plot holes because he seems pretty fucking evil during that scene with Anna, where he's like, I'm a villain, you're he says, dead. Like, one of the shittiest things I've ever heard in a kid's movie. Oh, Anna. If only there was someone out there who loved you. As 13th in line in my own kingdom, I didn't stand a chance. I knew I'd have to marry into the throne somewhere. What, what are you talking about? As heir, Elsa was preferable, of course, but no one was getting anywhere with her. But you, Hans. you were so desperate for love, you were willing to marry me just like that. In, in a scene with Elsa, after Elsa's captured in the jail, Hans is sympathetic towards her for no reason. Like, Elsa's in jail, everyone hates her. You have no reason to be nice to her if you're gonna betray Anna in the next scene. Like. So the, it just logically, the twist doesn't make sense. It's padded in conflict because there is no conflict because they've already, they've already had, Anna and Elsa have already hashed out their differences. It took like five seconds. So, um, and the, the last thing about it is the, it's not romantic love. That's true love. That's an interesting idea, I think. And you talked about that in the beginning episode, Glenn. Um, being interested by that idea and wanting to develop that. Actually, that one, I believe that idea was from Chris Buck, who did okay. co-write and co-direct it. Frozen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that's an inherently interesting idea because of the history of Disney princess movies, to turn it on its head. Well, and to, to your point, because we're going to eventually, you know, we got to get into why this get, got praised, why we think... <laughs> I think people who are just like either frustrated or want to do that like faux critical thing where they're like, oh, I want my movies to have more girl bosses and <laughs> more badass women, yeah. please. Yeah, like because they were like, it's about sister love that they were like, this is groundbreaking. Yeah. One, ignoring much better movies yeah, it's, like it's Lilo really and Stitch not. and Emperor's yeah. New Groove and Anastasia. I wanted to talk about Lilo and Stitch, yeah. yeah. Um, and so they just glommed onto that and were like, this is different because it shows a woman who's like, who has no romantic interest, who's like, fuck it, I'm just gonna be myself and the sisters love each other and the charming prince was evil. <laughs> And they're like, this oh, is something God. different, so it must be good. That just and makes me think about how many times in the movie they hammer in the point that you shouldn't marry someone within one day of knowing them. Like, and they're so self-aware and they're so fucking smart and coy, aren't they? You can't marry a man you just met. You got engaged to someone you just met that day? You mean to tell me you got engaged to someone you just met that day? Didn't your parents ever warn you about strangers? Oh, Anna. If only there was someone out there who loved you. That they're telling the audience, it's like meta, right? That, but then they're how could also you marry? Like... How could you marry someone in one day, Disney? Look, we're we're making fun of ourselves. We're we're hot. But then she marries someone. 
it's fantastic. Well, and here's the thing, like, just because it's new doesn't mean it's good. Like, yeah. Zack Snyder's Justice League is something that probably hasn't been done before. And <laughs> Elsa, as a character, is so flat, and she just doesn't really have any characteristics ever. And I think that, again, comes back to what you were saying in the beginning, that they didn't know what to do with her. So they just kind of made her like a Mary Sue, just, I'm, I'm, her character is her conflict. Like, she has no outside attributes besides that. Like, you can tell she kind of cares about Anna, but she she doesn't have a personality, really. Well, and her conflicts are in conflict with each other because the movie can't decide if it wants to say, accept yourself, but also your actions have consequences. <laughs> and because, like, she gets punished for embracing herself and run like <laughs> the empowerment song is immediately led up with like no you fucked up though <laughs> it's very strange um do we want to talk really quick about queer baiting here oh okay i can we talk about lilo and stitch first yes Just please, I'm, please. E- I'm excited to i love lilo and stitch it's my favorite disney movie it is so good. Joe hasn't seen it. I was just talking about this with my our good friend John Hancock. Shout out to you, John. Uh, but Lilo and Stitch, so fucking good. And I need to like rewatch it with Joe immediately. It's, okay, it's go on. A, it's a story about a sister who's um, two sisters. Their parents died. The older sister has to take care of the younger sister, who's the protagonist, Lilo. Um, and their relationship in Lilo and Stitch is so compelling and so real. And I'm getting emotional thinking about it because Lilo is going to be taken away by the government because they think Nani, her sister, is not fit to be a parent. That's it so feels, heavy. <laughs> it feels real. It, but it's still, the movie's light and fun. It's like, it's kind of a- They're comedy. aliens. Yeah. Stitch is an adorable <laughs> alien dog. <laughs> but, and there's, there's hijinks and hilarity that ensue. But- there's this one scene where they're laying in a hammock together and Lilo's going to be taken away the next day and Nani's singing to her and oh my god I'm starting I'm to cry. Her. Yeah. <laughs> that's like until we meet again yeah and that like ohana meets family family meets zoe gets abide. when stitch too because the whole movie's about stitch finding family too like it's all about how like stitch also stitch is the i can't believe i'm saying this sentence stitch is the elsa in the movie <laughs> which is like he is destructive and like would rather be alone and like yes. a loner, but ultimately yes. he realizes that like he is happier with family. And the scene when he t- runs away from Lilo because he's afraid he's just going to make her life harder, very Elsa again. Yeah. And then he's holding the ugly duckly book and he's like in the middle of the forest and he just goes, I'm lost. <laughs> 
it's that's actually a perfect comparison to what it is oh yeah <laughs> and that was done in 2002 and that didn't get the fucking acclaim from that it was like oh my god how novel <laughs> they did lilo and stitch and emperor or emperor's new groove was first but they did those two movies almost back to back and i'm like that's honestly one of the best yeah. disney what runs. a golden age honestly. yeah because emperor's new groove also wasn't about romantic love it was about overcoming narcissism and, and camaraderie <laughs> yeah and finding friendship and family <laughs> which i think two- yeah that feels a lot more universal than the original Disney true love, and whatever. The thing about both of those movies that, again, is what Frozen doesn't do, which is why Frozen mm-hmm. actually isn't subversive at all with Elsa, is that Lilo and Stitch and Emperor's New Groove, the protagonist is the person who is quote-unquote damaged, uh-huh. who needs to like work through their problems, who is destructive, or who pushes people away, or who has trust issues. And it's the outside characters that cause them to change. But our protagonist is Anna. <laughs> our protagonist is Anna, who's like quirky, and I'm just quirky. Learns, learns that she doesn't need a man, but gets one anyway. Yeah. Like, that's it. And Elsa's the one who has to change, and we don't follow her journey. That's true. Yeah. And then I guess she's gay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, wanted to talk about queer baiting before we get into the praise. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, you, you, you introduce this, because I don't I know. I just want to introduce this, it. because this seems to be a fan theory or not even a fan theory, because I think it's also been true that, like, some Christian uh, groups have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> Let It Go has been interpreted as a coming out song. Mm, it's a gay anthem. A gay anthem. And it has been claimed to be reinforced because Elsa, they don't even try to introduce a male interest, and she's not interested in that. And she's just been hiding in her room away from everyone for so long and now she's like i'm gonna take the gloves off and be my fabulous self (laughs) and lots of people have been like that seems coded as gay yeah i guess um i mean (laughs) what i want to say to that is then fucking do it disney right (laughs) you bastards just I do it. So I think some of the praise comes from the attachment of identification. That you can read Elsa as coded as dealing with mental illness and grief and depression. You can read Elsa as a gay character. <laughs> Theoretically, you can read Elsa as any conflict you want. <laughs> That's that's my problem with her, is that she's answered any of your conflict here, and you can identify with that. You know, I was having a big problem because Disney movies just weren't representing my urge to be a serial killer. And then Elsa <laughs> saying, let it go. And I was like, you know what? You're right, Elsa. Yeah, but she's also, like she's empowerment, right. the character, but not. She's not right, because let it go is immediately shot down. <laughs> uh. Anna comes to her, they do the best song in the movie, the For the First Time in Forever reprise, where Anna's like, well, actually, no, like, you actually ruined everyone's lives. 
And then Elsa has another panic attack, almost gets murdered and imprisoned, and then instead learns that she needs to love her sister. So where is that let it go business? It's like, hey guys, maybe you shouldn't come out after. What is she saying let it go on the way back to Arendelle? That'd be so she good. she realizes she needs to let people yeah. in. And it's, instead of being let it go, I'm going to isolate myself. It's let it go. I'm going to be who I am and let people in yeah. and be a leader. <laughs> And I don't care if they accept me, but I'm going to be there regardless. I'm not going to be away from them, hauled up in my little closet castle. And I'm going to get over, maybe my sister isn't going to accept me, but I need to confront her to know. And insanely more compelling, just immediately. This is probably our ang- our most passionate episode since. It's such an her. easy fix, too. I know. All That's of why this it's frustrating. An- well, as we went through the development, it seems like they were constantly frustrated that they just couldn't get the puzzle pieces to fit, and like you and I just did it in like thirty <laughs> minutes. <laughs> uh, all right, we're praise. gonna talk. We're gonna award praises in a bit. But first, one last little, little bit about the GA Senate in Georgia. Oh, wait, we didn't talk about the praise, though. Yeah, we did. That's our third section. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I stopped looking at the script. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I feel like, did we not? No, not, not really. I mean, you talked about the praise for it like, being like a coming out thing, but we didn't talk about the general praise of like okay all right go ahead sorry um so i worked for a few years or actually a lot of years i worked in a park district of some sort and um kids love this movie so much and especially girls you'll see them dress up as anna and elsa you'll see them singing the songs you'll see kids fucking adore this movie it's like their religion (laughs) um in much more than I think the other Disney movies. I mean, they still like the other ones, but they like love this one. Why do you think that is? Well, here's my question. How did the kids like talk about the movie? Do they just dress up and sing the songs? Yes. Or are they like, man, I love Elsa because she's an empowerment queen. No, they do not say that. (laughs) But you'll see like, Whenever we had an event, there would be like little Elsa's running around and people, they would have Elsa like impersonators come and they were always the most popular. They'd sing along with Let It Go. They'd sing for the first time in forever, the Anna would. And it was just like, it was just like, bam, they fucking love this shit. See, I think what happened is the praise started with children mm-hmm. who were like, there are a lot of funny characters in here and catchy songs and this is the first real princess movie to come out during my time. Entangled, yeah. like, I think the songs are really good and the animation's really good, but the songs aren't memorable in the same way. I'll give mm-hmm. it that. Like, the songs aren't, like, cookie-cutter designed. The songs yeah. are more traditional. And we're looking at, like, Gen Z kids and, like, kids born literally in the millennium. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine... It just fits. These are the same kids who are watching Trolls World Tour. And, you know, (laughs) the songs are catchy and poppy and upbeat. And you've got silly characters. And, like, yeah, if you're six, that's Mm. 
gonna strike a chord in the way that like whatever fucking came out when we were kids was like yeah i remember all that because it was funny and nickelodeon yeah cartoon network yeah that was Um, funny and it 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 i have all the songs memorized i i see a lot of uh to elevate that a little bit i see um it being really easy for kids to put themselves in Elsa and Anna's position, respectively. Because, and even like say like, I'm an Elsa or I'm an Anna, me and my sister, like we, we, we look like these characters, we talk like these characters. Is it even like, well, and here's the other thing, like the main characters are impossibly pretty. Yeah. And like, I, as someone who has been a little girl, I just think like, if you see a really pretty character, you want to be a really pretty character <laughs> because there's still so much emphasis put on like traditional beauty. And those two characters are so traditionally pretty and quirky and thin and wear magnificent bright costumes. Um, and then I think like adults saw it and were like, oh wow, this is different. Um, mm. This is really corporate feminism and that's my brand of feminism. So I'm down. <laughs> Because you don't also, have to, you don't have to think about it. Go ahead. Maybe kids even, I mean, after they watched the Disney classics for so many years and love, probably love the princess movies because a lot of kids do, and a lot of people our age do too, um, they they might have thought it was cool and different too. They're like, oh, I, I don't have to feel that love for someone of the opposite gender. I could feel that for my family or my sister, which is more accessible. Yeah. Um, I think also the fact that I think it's an unnecessary scene the way it's structured, but the movie does start with them as children doing children yeah. things like running around, interesting, and yeah, building a snowman. And I think that's like a very do you want to build a snowman is like a very popular song with children, and it's written mm. from the perspective of children. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think like if you're a kid, it's new and it's shiny and it's bright and it's something you can easily emulate. And yeah, that does really well. And then yes, I think people who want to pretend that they want their media to change, but who don't want to actually think about it that hard, were mm. like, it's about sisters. I've never seen that before because Lilo and Stitch had Hawaiians in it. <laughs> Lilo and Stitch had indigenous people, <laughs> and we were not down with that. And I did not like that. And you know what I do like? Idina Menzel. <laughs> oh, Idina. She you was were in, not cast right. She was in Wicked, and I saw that five times. <laughs> this is a good character you got going here. Thank you. This is like Wine Mom, who's also a little bit of a girl boss. <laughs> And uh, I feel like we should also, that's a good transition into Idina Menzel and the praise <laughs> around Let It Go, the song itself. What are our feelings about the song, Let It Go? It's catchy and bad. <laughs> yeah. It's catchy and bad. And like in the same way, I think, I mean, I think Shallow is a good song, but like in the same way of Shallow, it's like, and it's not super easy to sing because it's a belt song. Anytime like a song requires you to belt, people are always like, 
<laughs> greater music hasn't been written since Mozart. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it reminds me of Katy Perry's Firework because it has the exact same chord progression as Katy Perry's Firework. Does it? Yeah. Oh, also, I meant to say this when we were talking about the songs. Let It Go also doesn't mesh with any of the other songs in the soundtrack because the introduction is literally 80s ballad piano. <laughs> Yeah, or like heart, like oh yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Idina Menzel's voice is really. Uh, I don't want to say shrill. I feel like that's coded bad. Um, it's women. like if shrill was a belt <laughs> like an alto belt <laughs> yeah i just Whatever don't the love the equivalent of that is. i just don't love her voice um it's like i, alanis I liked it in Morris- wicked yeah that's about it it's like alanis morissette doing broadway and alanis, alanis morissette is good in alanis morissette music but i don't need like that doesn't fit broadway music and- per se I don't know if it's the song or if it's her performance or maybe a little bit of both, but it just seems really soulless. Well, like her, it's thin and robotic almost. It, her voice flat. acting also doesn't really like fit the character. Yeah. Like Kristen Bell does a wonder, like Kristen Bell is Anna. Like that yes. personality comes through. It, she's very bubbly and kind of weird and like, you know, in the Kristen Bell, Dax Shepard way, like, wow, they're just like us. <laughs> <laughs> and her song, um, is she's good it's at so good. portraying emotions really kind of subtly mm-hmm. without having to belt. And I think her her songs convey 10 times more emotion. Maybe that's just because her character conveys 10 times more emotion. I was going to say Elsa also is written very flat in the first place. Like she doesn't have emotions to show yeah. except through Let It Go, which again is a contradictory song. So. <laughs> and yeah, it all Let It Go is is a belt. And it's like, it's fine. It's, it's catchy. Um, I like other people singing. <laughs> I think like the, her, um, it's really the only other time Elsa gets to sing is when it's with for the first time in forever, both times where, um, but in the second time it's like, um, uh, oh, I'm such a fool. I can't be free. No escape from the storm inside of me. Like that part, like that's mm. really good. And it goes with the song and it's juxtaposed with Anna. And it's just, it and let it go. A hundred times more emotion than you ever did during the belting of Let It Go. Let It Go has the same formula as every fucking like recent musical, like movie musical that has at least one original song in it to try to win a best Oscar. <laughs> Except this movie also has other original songs, but it's like, the, this is like Beyonce's pride song or whatever it was for The Lion King. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. We're going to let that go for now. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? We gotta right? get to some praise, Stefan. Yeah. Um, before we do, one last little bit about how we're gonna let go. Um, Kelly Lawford. <laughs> yes. 
God, let her escape from the castle, the ice palace that is her senate seat. Because fuck, I have a feeling she she doesn't even seem like she wants to be there. She just wants to inside her trade and have power and shit. So today, we wanted to tell you about the two Georgia Senate runoff races that will determine what the next couple years of policy will look like in America, where we live. I don't know if you live there, but we live there. The work Stacey Abrams and her organization Fair Fight have done in this country, and particularly in Georgia, is monumental, and it doesn't stop now. Go to gasenate.com to make a donation that will be split evenly between Fair Fight and the two Democratic candidates for the Georgia Senate race, Reverend Raphael Wernock and John Ossoff. You can also go to the Fair Fight website, fairfight.com, and donate directly to the organization and their efforts to make sure elections are fair and accessible. There are a number of other organizations you can also offer your support to for these crucial races, Black Votes Matter, ACLU Georgia, The New Georgia Project, and more. Additionally, follow our Twitter at praise underscore pod, and we'll share resources for organization and funds that could use your support. Also, um, remember that for every listen of this episode, we will donate uh, $2 up to 25 listens for a total of $50 to uh, Fair Fight Georgia and John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Wernock. And now that we've got that all the way, um, that's super important stuff. We want to get the Dems to get the Senate so we can hopefully get some healthcare going and not have it just like flounder around for a while. And that's really important. Listen to your heart when it's calling for you. Let it go. Let it go. It reminds me of that song from a crazy ex-girlfriend when uh, Paula and uh, Rebecca apologize to each other. You go first. <laughs> And I just want to tell you that I'm sorry. <laughs> We're back. Yeah. Um, but not till after you do. Yeah. What? I just want to tell you that I'm sorry, oh. but not till after you do. Yeah. Isn't that from the song? Something like that. Cool. Uh, we're back. Yeah. Stefan. What's up? Frozen. Uh-huh. Why did people like it? Uh, yeah, well, I think it's like, I think it's like, people like Frozen because there's a lot of, God, is this going to come back to the Joker? Of what we said about the Joker? Or what I felt about the Joker? Keep rolling with it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep there's going. a Riff. lot of elements here that are easy to like uh, separately. You know, the songs, a few of the songs are really good. Let It Go is insanely catchy and relatable to anybody going through a conflict of any sort. Um, Elsa is a character you can easily put yourself into if you've ever felt um, oppressed or othered or any, or just put down upon or anything not understood. Um, Anna is a character you can put yourself into if you're quirky and are just basically uh, a girl, a little girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm blonde. It's, <laughs> it's really easy to see yourself in these characters. And if you don't think about it too hard, the story is innovative 
and the twist is really good and god i didn't see that twist coming and let it go is a bop and olaf is adorable and there's kristoff and the reindeer (laughs) and it's just yeah there's there's a lot people could like here if you don't think about it too hard and if you gloss over the bad parts which some people might like those songs had nothing to add. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, yeah, like fixer upper. If you're in the car driving your kid, like you could replace that scene from Toy Story where they're listening to Hakuna Matata while they're uh, driving with like fixer upper, and you'd have the baby like raising her hand like yes, <laughs> and it'd be the same thing. <laughs> like it's just it's silly and it's fun. This is just like corporate cookie cutter stuff that has some things that are very 2013 in them, like very specific to 2013 music and 2013 like social demands, but yeah. it's, it's Disneyfied and they took all of the heart out of what worked with Tangled and were like, how can we put this to a science? And they literally did until the last possible minute. And that's going to work with consumers, but not me. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. (laughs) (laughs) We live in a snow society. Oh, God. Uh, That's where I'm putting it in. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Stefan. Yeah. Frozen. Yeah. What do you Um, like about it? um, I like the songs. The first time in forever, Love is an Open Door, are really good. Um, I like Kristen Bell. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> um, it it there's a lot more I don't like, and I could probably list for a lot of a lot of time. But I'm gonna go with what I don't like for the songs. Uh, the other side of the coin, "Let It Go," "Fixer Upper," and "Summer Song." I don't like the plot and the many missed opportunities of the plot. And I think that ties into the thing I really don't like about it is the missed opportunity here for something that could have been really good. And we get that in the intro with the ice song and the Nordic choir and something, we could have had a really interesting movie steeped in traditional lore and culture that goes through a conflict of grief and loss and family and connection to each other and just pure love that could have been really compelling but because of a development cycle or corporate influence or whatever it may be just turned into something John sort of, Lasseter <laughs> something really commercial and just not just boring just honestly flat out mediocre and boring I agree I like what I'm going to approximate is probably minute 15 to minute 35 of this movie. <laughs> God, all 20 minutes. Um, and also the For the First Time in Forever reprise, because it's good. Um, I like the cut song, Life's Too Short. That mm. is unfortunately not in this movie. Um, we haven't talked about the animation at all. Oh I like God. the I like the environmental animation. I will say the landscapes and the lighting, especially the lighting is gorgeous in this movie. Mm. 
And I like Santino Fontana's voice. I want to ugly Greg. I want to sit on it. Ugly um, Greg. He's not ugly. He's cute. He's okay. But whoever uh, plays new Greg is way hotter. Than no, him. he's not. Santino <laughs> Fontana just has like two. He gives up. Tyler the same... Aston, or whatever. The guy yeah, from yeah. Pitch Perfect, the love interest yeah. from Pitch Perfect, plays new Greg in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Skylar Aston like gives off like the same vibes as Ben Platt, who's also in Pitch Perfect, which is like their voice is too silky for me, and mm. it makes their personalities feel very disingenuine. That's fair. Um, <laughs> Still hot though. Still hotter. Um, get, get it. It's too pretty. Get uh, it, Skylar Aston. I don't like all of the things that you don't like. And also, because we didn't talk about it, I don't like the animation of people. I think it looks really shitty. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of works entangled a little bit better because it is surrounded by such lush landscapes and bright colors, whereas Frozen is really kind of white and... Well... And Tangled tries to be at least, like, Tangled leans into the cartoony aspects a little bit more consistently. And it also has, Tangled has less background characters. There's so many, like, background character scenes in Frozen, and the background people are animated so poorly, which now makes sense, because they had five months to put it yeah, together. <laughs> that makes sense. Probably had a bit more time with Tangled, and so the animation holds it better. Um, I'm going to say what I always say about computer animation, and that in a few years... However long, I don't think it holds up now. I'm not sure if it'll hold up even worse in a few years, possibly. That's just my gripe with computer animation in general. Yeah. Because I don't like it. I would rather everything be hand-drawn. Because you'll always see it in comparison to whatever the newer thing is. Yeah. Like, we, when we saw Frozen, we were like, whoa. You know? You can't see. I'm I'm making a face. <laughs> when, I don't when agree. You see, when you see like Tangled or Frozen, you're like, whoa, that looks that looks it, it, technologically. It looks like whoa, that's super clear and crisp and. Well, and you're. I think like the lighting. It looks like an accomplishment. Like, I think so much of 3D animation is in the lighting, and the more I'm like thinking about it, because we just haven't unpacked the animation very much, but. Um, Tangled is also very heavy with the lighting and creating atmosphere because Frozen's a lot at night and a lot, like you said, in just a very plain white barren landscape. They, It's so easy to see like light isn't affecting the environment or the people and then they just look shiny and fake. Where in Tangled, loud. you constantly see like how the light reflects off of things. And at last I see oh, I think I've sprained my throat talking about this movie. <laughs> uh, Stefan. Yeah. Frozen. Uh-huh. Is it worthy of praise? Parts. <laughs> Do you like how just like you know, that one got parts? Parts. A few. Yeah, parts of it. Fine. I'm just going to go ahead and say no. Because, like, if I didn't have for the first time in forever and uh, love is an open door, I'd also be fine. <laughs> I'm also mad. This is a tangent, but <laughs> I'm mad that Frozen has taken over Norway in Epcot. Because Norway, Norwegian culture isn't getting enough representation anymore in the World Showcase. This is totally, like, a deep cut. But... 
I don't want people to just associate Norway with Frozen. I want people to learn about Norwegian culture. And it, it's kind of, it's annoying that this is going to be the face of Norway for at least like a few periods to come in America. I mean, I know America's not super great on foreign cultures in general, but like... Also, how much like time to white cultures do we need to be devoting? That's fair. And a one black singer who's <laughs> playing a rock troll? That seems so problematic. Um, all right. Praises. Let's Yo. give them out. Da, da, da. Let it go. Oh, this let might be, it go. Let it go. Let it go. This might be the most controversial one. Mm-hmm. How Out of five, how many praises do you think Frozen got? And out of five, yeah. how many do you think it deserves? Okay, I'm going to say five for what it got. And I'm going to say two to two and a half for what I think it deserves. I'm going to go five for what it got. I'm going to go one and a half for what it deserves. (laughs) Really don't think it's anything to write home about. Well, there you go. And that's all she wrote. And we're going to let it go from there. Do, Um, do, 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 do. All right, Total y'all. eclipse of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all for this week. As Stefan and I try to pick up our uh, seasonal affective disorder sadness. Yeah. Um, next week or next episode, which might be this next week. Yeah, when this will come out. Yeah. It's either um, next week or the week after, depending on if anything happens. <laughs> Don't, don't count on it we are we're making no money off of this so we have no obligation except out of love um love you we do love you yeah. and we're so excited for our next episode we are doing Stefan. die hard <laughs> i started i tried to say that like uh like uh bruce what's his name i i want to say bruce mcclain just <laughs> Because of, of a, a, a story, we're we're having two guests on as well for the first time. Yes, we won't reveal who those guests are quite yet, but I will say we are super excited to work uh, or to talk about this movie, Die Hard, because Stefan and I worked on a Die Hard parody musical together, and that musical is going to be the production we worked on is going to be available on YouTube to watch yeah. this week. It, it's such a lovely christmas time event too yeah um so uh we're happy to we're gonna talk about that production and this movie and for a supersized uh christmas episode so stay tuned because uh, spectacular and christmas spectacular christmas spectacular yeah um so until then listeners let it go let it go let it go oh you gotta do the demi version that's like let it go let it go go. i was trying to think of another 80s power ballad to do um uh uh um what's the one uh love is a battlefield (laughs) love is a battlefield (laughs) we stand Heartache to heartache. Uh, <laughs> praise responsibly. Yeah, Johnny, shut it off to my little friend. I'm gonna make him an offer, Kevin. You think I ain't motherfucker? You think I ain't motherfucker?
like him on office, guys.